What does it take to be a friend of God? God has plenty children. God has plenty children. But not all of God's children are his friend. So how does someone become a friend of God? Praise God. Let's read Romans chapter 5 verse 10. Let's read quickly Romans chapter 5 verse 10. Let's share something brief from there and then. I'm... Father, we thank you for the entrance of your word that always bring light and give understanding to the simple. As we share of your word, give insight. And let the teaching of your word always be made easy by the Holy Spirit. And let understanding be granted to the ears that will listen to it. And everyone will be blessed because your word has the capacity to bless. Amen. In Jesus' name. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. And it says, For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of the Son. Much more being reconciled, we are saved by we shall be saved by life. Praise God. Now, when we talk about the love of God, up there it says, For the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. It says, The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, anytime you talk about God, you talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, the truth of the matter is that God means many things to us. God means what? Many things to us. In our relationship with him, we relate with him at different levels. And it shows in different First, He is the creator and our maker. He is our Lord and master. He is our judge and the judge of all nations. He is our redeemer. He is our father. And remember we said father means what? Abba. Abba means what? Source and sustainer. He is also our savior, our helper. The Lord is my helper. Yet in all of these things, God still wants to be our friend. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our provider. Yet in the midst of these things, God still wants to be our friend. Praise God. Are you writing anything? It is amazing that the great and mighty God, the one that sustains all things by the word of his power, still wants to be your friend. What a big thing. If we say that Mr. President wants to be your friend, wouldn't you be excited? Won't always invite you for lunch? You will be happy. But what about to say that God Almighty is your friend? God is your friend. You see, the, the thing is, in the beginning, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship, a perfect friendship relationship with God as they lived in the garden. There were no hindrances, no special ceremonies, no fear of any kind. They just had what? Relationship. God can just walk into the garden and they will relate and they will chat and they will just, just like that. No ceremonies of approaching God. There's nothing like saying, let's go and meet God. No, God was ever present with them. 
And if he, I mean, he comes in and they chat, they will discuss whatever thing they did it to do. There were no ceremonies. But that story changed. When did that story change? When Adam sinned. When Adam and his wife sinned. Sin changed relationship. Sin changes relationship, both in human relationship, in relationship with God. Sin, or with, if your friend tells you lies, and you discover that he lied to you, the relationship changes. If your friend, somebody you're close to, you have a relationship with, now cheats you, that relationship changes. Sin always changes relationship. So, Sin changed the relationship between God, Adam, and Eve. Because of sin, fear came in. There was guilt. There was hiding. You begin to sneak around. You're no longer coming straight. You know, you're hiding. God created us originally to be in constant fellowship with him. But after the fall, this fellowship or friendship was lost. It was what? Lost. So for people to reestablish relationship with God, they had to do something. Because we are created for relationship. We are created for fellowship. Now the thing, something has happened that broken that fellowship, that broken that relationship. That thing, so man became empty because, because we are created for relationship. What made that relationship possible was destroyed. There was hunger, there was vacuum, and nature does not do what approve vacuum. So, one also, man had to find a way to reconnect with God. Praise God. This is what gave rise to religion. It is man's desire or quest or means of finding his way back to relationship with God that created what you call religions. And what is religion? In this world today, there are many religions. Many. Different ways people want to have access to God or have a relationship with God. Praise God. That's a good religion people worship. Different kinds of religion, Hindu, Buddha, Islam, um, Confucianism, on all kinds. These religions exist because people are trying to establish relationship with God. And therefore, they created ceremonies. They created rituals. They created activities. Some had to beat their body. Some have to fast. Some have to do all kinds of things. Wash themselves. Do all kinds of things before they can have access to God. But in the beginning, it was not so. Praise God. In the beginning, it was not so. It was after the sin came, people now had to create ceremonies, create rituals, create activities, and create means, ways and means to be able to find their way back to 
God. You know, people say that um, Christianity is not a religion. Well, they are right, in a way. It is not a religion because religion is man's way. Man's creation to have access to God. You get it? That's what religion is. And that in, man's, in man creating access to God, he created ceremonies, he created rituals, he created activities and observances that will give him access to God. But Christianity is not like that. Jesus Christ did not come to create religion. He had no name for the, he, what he came to do. He didn't call it religion. He did not come to create any religion. He came, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whosoever wants to come to God must come through me. So he himself is the way. So as the moment is the way, that takes you back to God, not religion. All he wants you to do is say, Lord, I am sorry I sinned. And now I confess my sins. I now reestablish relationship with the Father. He said he is the door. Jesus is the door. And so when people... Remember, we are called Christians. But you see, Jesus did not call us Christians. It is people who saw the followers of Jesus behaving in a certain way, they now call those people Christians. So the name we bear today as Christians is not the name that the one who we follow gave to us. We are bearing a name that people gave to us, and we have decided to adopt that name. So what we are actually answering is an adopted name. We are actually called the disciples of what Jesus Christ said, my disciples. We are his disciples. But people in the world that saw the way we behave gave us a name. And that name is what we call Christians. So Christianity or Christians is not a religion. Now I'm still talking about why people created religions. They created religions because they wanted to reestablish fellowship and relationship with God. So how can someone become a friend of God? Let's take a look at some people who were God's friends. In the Old Testament, there are a few people who are called the friends of God. We have Moses and Abraham. We are called friends of God. David was also called a man after God's own heart. Enoch, Noah, and Job all had intimate friendship relationship with God. Abraham is called God's friend. You can find that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7. Moses was called God's friend. You can find that in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. God's friend. Now, how can you become God's friend? How do you become a friend of God? First, you must be born again. You must receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Once that is done, you begin the process of reestablishing your friendship relationship with God. Now, once that is done, the question is, how do friends relate with each other? By the way, who is your friend in the first place? Who is your friend? 
someone that knows you well and likes you. Someone that knows you and does what? Likes you. That's your friend. A friend is someone who would like to help you when you are in trouble. Not someone that will take advantage of you when you are in trouble. That's a friend. Friends are people who make each other relax without being afraid. That's why in your presence and fullness of joy. Friends tell each other the truth and do not lie to themselves. Friends don't lie to each other. Friends tell themselves, God tells you the truth. If you do something wrong, God will tell you this thing is wrong. Some people think that somebody is their friend because when they do something wrong, they don't want them to tell them. He says, my friend. That's your enemy. Because your enemy that will see something you're doing wrong will not tell you. Because he wants you to keep doing it until thing kills you. But your friend will tell you the truth. Praise God. Now, friends do not cheat each other. Good friends do not encourage the other person to lie or to do something that will make God unhappy. If you have a friend, that person will not cheat you. He will not encourage you to do things that will make God unhappy. He will always encourage you to do things that will please God. That's your friend. Your best friend is one you can trust. We just sang a hymn. It says, trust and obey. Someone you don't trust, you cannot obey. You don't trust someone who is not your friend. Praise God. Before you trust a friend, you must prove that they are honest and they are trustworthy. And how do you prove that? By relationship. Over time. Friends also talk with each other anytime without sometimes, oftentimes, don't take permission. You don't take permission to talk, Lord, please, I want to talk to you now. No, you talk to God because he's your friend. You are in need, you are in challenge, you have a difficulty, you talk to him. Say, call on me and I will answer you and show you things. Just call on him. Anytime you have a challenge, call on me. He's your friend. God is your friend. Jesus is your friend. The Holy Spirit is your friend. Anytime you feel a challenge, call on him and he will answer. He'll be there. Before Jesus came, we were enemies of God. And that's why he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, and he says, And not only we, but we also, so we're enemies. Enemies. Enemies of God. Enemies to ourselves. For if when we were enemies, once upon a time we were what? Enemies. But when he came, he reconciled us to himself. Praise God. He reconciled us to himself by his blood. Praise the Lord. Let me just show you something in, um, about that reconciliation. Because if you are falling out of friendship with God, you can return back. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 18. If you have fallen out of friendship with God by reason of sin, fellowship has been broken, relationship has been injured, you can come back. 
He is a restorer. He is a reconciler. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. And it says, And all things are of God, who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and have given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself in Christ Jesus, and also has commanded us to go and reconcile other people unto him. How do we do that? When he read in Isaiah chapter 1, verse uh, 61, verse 1, and he began to say, say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and as I to preach the good news to the meek, share the good news with them, and tell them that Jesus has died for you, he rose from the dead, and there's no need for you anymore to run away from him. Come close and return. Once upon a time, we are his friend. Then we became enemies. But Jesus Christ has come to restore the relationship. Once upon a time, you quarrel with your friend. And everyone has gone their ways. But you can be reconciled. All it takes is to say, I'm sorry. All it takes is to do what, is do what, do what say what? I am sorry. And it is only the meek that can say, I am sorry. The gospel, the good news, is for the meek. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the meek, not to everybody. Because you can shout from here till Jesus comes. Those who don't want to hear it will not hear it. Those who hear it, whose hearts are hard, will not take it. You know why? Because they have no meek. They are not meek. So, the meek, when he offends, will say, I am sorry. Tell me more. God invites us to enjoy friendship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus called his disciples friends. He called his disciples what? My friend. Let's see it in John chapter 15, verse 15. He says, I call you my friends. He said, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what this Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. I've called you what? For all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. Friends share everything with their friends. Jesus shared every secret he received with the father, from the father with his disciples. Because he, they are his friends question is, do you share everything with someone who is your friend? You don't. You hide some things because not your friend. You can have a relationship with somebody, but that person is not your friend. There are many relationships around, marriage relationship, whatever thing that are friends, they are not friends. Jesus said, I have called you my friend. Why? Because I have shared every secret of my life with you. So you know me. You have seen me. You have seen my weakness. You have seen when I have cried, when I was hungry, when I was tired. You have seen me in my weakness, in my strength. You have seen all. So you are my friend. And there's no information about me I have not told you. You don't hide secrets from your friends. God wants us to relate with him 
very closely as friends. Praise God. He said, if anyone wants to boast, let that person boast in the fact that he knows and understands God. Can you boast and say, God, I know, he is my father. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, he said, let him that boasted boast in the fact that he knows me. And let me read it for you. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. He said, do you want to boast? Boast in the fact that you know me. And then my friend, but let him that gloried, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Boast in the fact that you know God, that God is your friend. God is my friend. God is my friend. Now then, how do, they, how do we develop friendship with someone? Have you seen God physically? No. So how can you develop friendship with someone you cannot see physically? Number one is through constant conversation with God. Talk to him every time, anywhere. God is spirit. And those that worship him, we worship him what? In spirit and in truth. So you can talk to God anywhere, whether you're on the road, whether you're on the steering, whether you're on the highway, whether you're in the bathroom, whether you're in the toilet, whether you're in your sitting room, you can talk to him anywhere because he is what? Spirit. And the more you talk to him, the more you know, the more he knows that you are, you are, you know, you acknowledge his presence. Lord, I know you're here now. We welcome you here right now. We know you are listening to us. We know you are ever present with us. God wants to be part of your everyday activities, whether you're eating. He wants to be part of every problem. Every of your thoughts, God wants to be involved. Don't separate, don't separate your life from God. Don't say this is not God's business. Don't say this is not God. God is interested in every area of my life and your life. Praise God. You can talk with him. You can think with God. You can think with God by taking the word of God seriously. Praise God. God wants us to talk with him all the time, not some of the time. He does not want us to be too official. You know, some people want to pray. They kneel down, they do this. I'm not saying that kneeling down is not good. But you see, they want to do some preparations. I want to go and talk to God. No, 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 no. In the beginning, it was not so. All those things are ceremonies which religion brought. Talk to God anytime, anywhere. Jesus said, I know you hear it, me. So talk to him anytime and he hear it you. Because he is the ever-present God. Ever-present help in time of what need. He's your friend. Call on him. Call on the Lord while he may be found. 
Call on the Lord, why is Call on the Lord, why he may be found? He wipe away your tears. Do you have any tears? Just call on God right now. We all have challenges, we all have difficulties, but in those difficulties, don't ever forget to call on his name. The key to friendship with God is to maintain constant communication with him. That's a key. Maintain what? Constant communication. Always talk to God. Say, Lord, you know I'm here now. You know I'm here now. I want you to help me. You know I'm here now. I just want to thank you. He likes to talk to us. And as you're sharing your thoughts and your secrets with him, he said, Lord, you know, so there are some things I'm doing right now nobody knows, but you know, you know me. You're seeing me. Talk to him. Practice his presence. Practice God's presence. Know that God is ever present with you. Ever present. Sing songs to him in your heart. Dance before him. Be like a mad person, if possible, dance to him. And let's say this man is dancing. Praise God. What are you dancing to? I'm dancing, dancing on the Lord. You're dancing before him. Jump before him. Just, just, just relax before him. Rejoice before him. Thank him and say, Lord, I celebrate you. Friends are free with each other. They have no ceremonies. Friends don't make ceremonies before their friends. It is only those who don't know you, you want to show, you want to show yourself. No, you don't show anything to your friend. He knows you. So what do you want to show? What do you want to prove to God? He knows you through and through. Praise God. He knows you what? One other way finally I want to share with you this morning to maintain friendship with God is through meditation. Everybody say meditation. Meditation. That means thinking about God. Thinking what? About God. Is to keep thinking about something. To meditate is to th keep thinking about what? Something. So what do you think about? Think about God. Talk about Him. He's well pleased. He'll be pleased to remain your friend as long as you talk about Him. As long as you're thinking about Him. Think about God's faithfulness. Think about His goodness towards you. Think about His word. Think with the word of God. When we walk with the Lord... In the light of his word, you walk with God in the light of God's word. You don't walk with God in the light of your, your, your own word. God's word becomes the light before you. The things you think about, what will God do? How will God do it? These are how to think about and think about God. So that your business, your relationship with other people is orchestrated or moderated, is organized. Is, is by the word of God, what would God do? When we pray, when you speak, you speak to God. When you meditate, allow God to speak to your heart. Very soon, your heart will become one with God. As you begin to meditate on him, think about goodness of God, you can just go outside there and, and look up and see the beauty of the heavens. Say, God, you are just what? Too much. You are what? Too much. 
You are thinking about the greatness of God. You are acknowledging his word. You just woke up and said, Lord, it is a miracle day. Look at me. I just woke up this morning. When I slept, I didn't even know whether I was going to wake or not. You woke up this morning and said, Lord, thank you that I'm alive. Praise God. God wants to communicate. Friends talk with each other. As you keep meditating on the word of God, with the word of God, and as you keep talking to God, remembering that he's ever present with you, with him, we're going to grow. We're going to grow. And he said, my secret will I give to the meek. The secret of the Lord belongs to those who are close to him. Even in your life. It's not someone that's close to you you share a secret with. It's the same thing with God. If you say, draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. The more you converse with him, the more you relate closely with him, the more he'll be sharing secrets. Because God deals in secrets. God has what? Secrets. And those secrets are only made available to those who walk closely with him. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he shares on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who we trust and obey. Trust and obey, but there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You can't trust God without obeying him. You can't trust him without obeying him. And you cannot say he's your God when you don't obey him. And that's why he said, obedience is better than what? Sacrifice. Obedience is key. And you cannot obey someone who you don't trust. And you cannot be in close relationship with someone you cannot trust. Trust is the basis for friendship. And as the friendship begins to grow, begin to grow, you trust him, you obey him, you see how the glory of God, the glory of relationship, the glory of friendship will begin to manifest. If two people are relating and they are trusting each other and they obey each other and they support each other, you see the glory of that relationship is the mystery that God has set in motion. Any who want, it is a glory. If you want to enjoy that glory, all you need to do is do what? Maintain that openness of trust. Give your relationship partner the benefit of trust, not the benefit of doubt. Benefit of what? Trust. Not the benefit of what? Doubt. That means always believe the best. Always do what? Believe the best. Friends believe the best of each other. Praise God. God believes the best of us. And that's why he can call us his friend. Jesus said, I no longer call you my servants. I call you what? My friends. Because everything I received from the Father, I have shared with you. Married couples who share their secrets with their spouses maintain stronger relationship, stronger lasting relationship, more than those who keep secrets. Those who lock their phones, don't want their husbands to see, don't want their wives to see, what are you hiding? 
secrets that are not necessary. Praise God. Not necessary. Trust and obey. That's the way it works. Anywhere, both between you and God, between you and your spouses, trust is the foundation of any relationship, of any fellowship. May the Lord help you to understand the power of trust, the power of fellowship, understanding that friendship with God is enmity with the world. May the Lord bless you in the name of Jesus. And as I said, how do you start your friendship with God first? You must be born again. If you're not born again, it's important you pray straight, Father, I come to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again on the third day to set me free from sin, sickness, and disease. Today, I receive him as my Lord and my personal Savior. Come into my heart and change me. Today, I can be called the friend of God. Thank you, Father, for saving me. In Jesus' mighty name. And you that have already been saved and something has happened in the course of life, you have sinned, you have misplaced it, you have fallen short, today I decree restoration for you. In the name of Jesus. As you come to say, Lord, I have sinned. He said, if we say we have not sinned, we lie. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I plead the blood of Jesus over you. May you be cleansed, and may your relationship, may your fellowship with the Father be restored. May your fellowship with the Holy Spirit be restored. May your fellowship with the Son be restored, even today, in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Father, we thank you this morning. For the entrance of your word that brings light and give understanding to the simple. This first Sunday in the month of September, Lord, we come in humility to receive of you. Let our eyes of understanding be enlightened. Guide us in what we need to know and empower us to receive that which we need to receive. We ask, Lord, again, that the teaching of your word shall be made simple by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, grant utterance, Lord, and let the ears that hear your word receive them with humility, and let your word bring about change in their lives. We thank you because only you can make it possible. Receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Open your Bible again to Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, verse number 1. Ecclesiastes 3, 1. To share with us this morning and what I title Season, Time, and Purpose. Season, Time, and Purpose. Praise God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 1. And it reads To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. To everything there is what? There is a season. And there is what? A time to every purpose. I want to take care of three things. Season, time, purpose. Let's say it together. Season, time, and purpose. 
Now, what is a season? Season is a period. Season is a period during which certain things or certain events take place. Certain signs begin to manifest that tells you a season is about to begin. For example, we are in rainy season. Before the rainy season comes in, certain things begin to... So it's, it's, we are entering rainy season. In the same way, when we say dry season, certain things begin to happen. You say, it's like we are entering dry season. So a season is a period during which certain things or certain signs or certain events or certain circumstances begin to occur, begin to manifest. And as they begin to manifest, those signs and those events begin to manifest, they are pointing you to one thing. They are pointing you to time. Bible said, there is, to everything there is what? A season and a time. So the events, the occurrences, the things that are the signs, they are evidences that there's a season that's coming or that's going. Praise God. And all of them are together. The season takes you to time. Seasons point you to time. Season points you to what? Time. He said, to every season, to everything, there is a season, and that is what? A time. Take note. He says, season, time, and purpose. Praise God. <laughs> now, as I said, season points your attention toward time. And time demands two things from you. You may not do anything about the season because season uh, can be automatically generated or you may not influence the season. But season brings your attention to time. And time demands two things from you. Praise God. Time demands two things from you. Number one, it demands you to make a decision. And it demands you to take action. Seasons calls your attention toward time. And time demands you to do two things. Demands you to take a decision and then right to make a decision and then to take action. As the signs begin to manifest, they draw your attention to get ready. Get ready to take a decision and to act on it immediately. Yes. A decision and take action. As the signs are manifest, begin to show, begin to show, it takes you to, it reminds you, say, it's time to do something, it's time to do something, it's time to take action, it's time to move. Before you came to church this morning, you woke up, begin to prepare, and say, we're going to church by what time? You begin to prepare yourself, and then you took your bath, and then you came here. Praise God. So, season, prepare you for, cause your attention to time. And time demands to take from you decision and time. Now, the decision and action you take must be in to fulfill purpose. Remember, the scripture says, to everything there is what is seizing. And time to every purpose. Praise God. 
Every decision you make in life must and actions you take must be in fulfillment of what purpose. Season draws your attention to time. And time demands two things from you. Make a decision and then do what? Take action. And the action you take must be in line with what? To fulfill purpose. That's it. That's what the Bible said. That's what the Bible said. I mean, for everything there is a season and there's a time to everything and all of them are zeroing in on one thing again. What is that thing? Purpose. God is a God of what? Purpose. We always say that. Then but what do we do about it? Now, you don't necessarily initiate the season. You may not, you, you, it not be you that initiate the season. Season begins sometimes on its own, spontaneously, or it can gradually emerge from nowhere, as we used to say, nowhere. You have to be observant to understand the season that you're in. Your life is a series of seasons. Once upon a time, you were a child. You had the season you flow, childhood, five years, five to ten, it was a season. Eleven to fifteen, it was a season. Fifteen to twenty was a season. Twenty-twenty-five was a season. Praise God. Certain things were happening. Certain expectations we are, we are, there are certain things expected of you to do at that time. Some you did, some you could not do, but that season had passed. They can't come back again. You can no longer be five years old. It's not possible. Praise God. So that season has done what? Gone. Whatever you could not do that time, that's it. Your life goes through seasons. One season goes and it ushers you into another season. So you must be patient with yourself. You must be, you must understand the season you are in and know what you ought to be doing during that season. Otherwise, you'll be living in the past season. Many people are living in past seasons of their lives, forgetting to be in touch with the current season of their lives and understanding what am I supposed to be doing at this season of my life. Praise God. Now, one season goes, and it ushers you into another season. Now, you could miss out on a season. You could actually miss out on a season. Yes, you could, if you are not observant. You might be playing around, jumping all over the place and miss out on a season. As I said, season leads you to a time when certain decisions need to be made. Pay attention. The seasons lead you to a certain time to a time when certain decisions need to be made, need to be made, and certain actions need to be taken. Because if you don't take those actions at that time, you miss out. And once you miss out in the season, and that means if you miss out in the season, it is true, it is also, it is, 
follows that you miss out on the decision that you need to make. I miss out the timing. You miss out the season, you miss out the timing. And if you miss out the timing, it means you will not be able to take the decision that are in line with the time and take action that are also in line with the time. Praise God. Some people take actions that are not in line with the time that they live in. They take certain decisions that do not align with the time that they live in. <laughs> are you getting what I'm saying? If you now, you are, you are 11 years old, you want to go and start driving a car. Eh? You say, tomorrow I'm going to drive a car. It's a good decision, but it is a decision that is not in line with the season of your life. You get it? Is it a good decision? It is. But it is a, it's a decision that is not in line with the season of your life. Because the season does not allow an 11-year-old child to drive a car. The season you are now in is a season of going to school and learning and studying. To prepare yourself for another season that will eventually come. Praise God. You, the season you are now is a season of going to school, paying attention in class, learning all that you need to learn to prepare you for another season that is going to come upon you in the future. Praise God. So once you miss the season and the timing, you either abort purpose, delay purpose, or you destroy purpose. I repeat, once you miss out the season and the timing, you either abort purpose, delay purpose, or destroy purpose. Everything in life is about purpose, nothing else. Who created purpose? Not you. On the other hand, once you understand the season and the timing, and you make the right decision and take the right action, there is a high probability that you fulfill purpose or you will advance purpose. I said, once you understand the season and the timing and you make the right decision and you take the right action, the tendency is very high that you will do what? Fulfill purpose or advance purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole essence of living the whole essence of living is to advance purpose, is to fulfill purpose. The whole essence of living is to promote purpose. I like to repeat it for emphasis. Once you understand the season, the season of your own life, and the timing, and you are able to make the right decision and take the right action, there is a the high tendency that you fulfill purpose or you will advance purpose. No matter the challenges that come your way, there's a high tendency that you advance purpose in the right direction. Praise God. Now the fact that you understand the season, 
and you make the right decision and you take the right action does not necessarily mean that everything will work smoothly. But the most important thing is that you are in line with purpose and you are advancing purpose. Praise God. As I said, in life, there are series of purposes just as there are series of seasons. There are series of purposes, there are series of seasons. For example, you came to church this morning for a purpose. To fellowship, to worship, to hear the word of God, that's the purpose why you came here this morning. Praise God. It's a short-term purpose. Because after now, when the church, when the Sabbath dismisses, you go back home. Praise God. So it's a short-term purpose. Praise God. And as this purpose ends, you enter into another purpose. Praise God. So now, it is the combination of the short-term and the long-term purposes that all of them come together to empty as what you call eternal purpose. The combination of the short-term purpose, the long-term purposes, all of them gather together to become what you call eternal purpose. Praise God. Now, having an understanding of what, what eternal purpose is in your life determines how you approach the fulfillment of your short-term and long-term purposes. If you have a proper and clear understanding of what the eternal purpose of your life is, it will determine, it will influence how you approach your daily life. As I said, the whole essence of life is to fulfill eternal purpose. Now, eternal purpose is not set by you. Who says it? God sets up eternal purpose. It's not, it's not within your power. It's not within your capacity to set eternal purpose. God has set eternal purpose, and eternal purpose is eternal. But he gives you liberty. We will say liberty. He gives you liberty within the season that are available and within the time that you have to do something to work towards accomplishing that eternal purpose. Now, if you don't do it, you will not hold him responsible. He will hold you responsible. Seasons and time are what you have at your disposal to work in purpose. Praise God. Now, if you don't pay attention to the seasons and the time, you can never, you can never fulfill purpose, God's eternal purpose for your life. Pay attention to seasons. Ask yourself, now, which season of my life is this? There's a time when we read in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to do what? To speak. There's a time to keep quiet. There's a time to do what? Remember now. There's a season. It's a time and season. There's a time to be in and there's time to be out. There's a time to plant. There's a time to there's a time to be. There's a time to work for someone. There's a time to work for yourself. To answer your own name. Praise God. There are times and seasons. There's a time to laugh and there's time to weep. There's a time to cast away stones. Time to gather them. Praise God. There's a time to work for someone. 
Praise God. And there's a time to stop working for someone and begin to work for yourself. That's what the Bible says. Mind your own business. There's a time to mind your business. Praise God. Many people live their lives doing things, going through different seasons, doing jobs, pursuing careers, earning a living, but they are not able to connect all they do to the eternal purpose of God for their lives. Yes, indeed, they did things. Yes, the Lord, they, they lived. But how did their living connect to the eternal purpose of God for them? That's what is important. Because remember when we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's read to the end again. Let's read one more time. Verse 21. It says, Who knoweth... No, it's not that one. No, let, let me read this one. This one okay, it says, He had made all things what? Beautiful, verse 11. In his time. God has made all things beautiful. The eternal purpose is established in God's time and in his time. And it says, Also, he has set the world in your heart. Do you know that the world is in your heart? The world is in your heart. It's in your heart. The world, the whole world is in your heart. Say, The whole world is in my heart. It's in your heart. And yet, God has hidden the beginning from the end from you. The beginning and the end. He has hidden from you. Meanwhile, the whole world is in your heart. So what do you do? What if everyone should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labors? It is the gift of God. Enjoy your work. Do you have work? What is that work you do? Everyone should do what? I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For what? There is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Verse 17. You need to identify your work. Ask yourself, is your work in line with eternal purpose? First, you must recognize that you didn't bring yourself into this world. Praise God. How many of you brought yourself into the world? You didn't bring yourself. So it is not your purpose. It is God's purpose. Therefore, the things you do, your career, your profession, the pursuit, must connect you towards fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Your career is wonderful. Your profession is perfect. But you must connect it to God's eternal purpose for your life in this world. Otherwise, you will leave, go to school, raise a family, be an outstanding professional, and yet not accomplish eternal purpose. What is that eternal purpose? What is that eternal purpose? The purpose of God for you in this world as a Christian, the first number one purpose for you is to get people to become born again and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the number one purpose. Praise God. That's what? So everything you do must be in line, must be focused, must be directed to getting someone born again. That's it. 
You may be doing many things, so, but all those things must be directed towards getting someone come to know Jesus. Because that's why Jesus Christ came. Because there's room, there's, there's room for you, for your short-term and long-term purposes. The fulfillment of all of them must lead to the beginning of another one. In other words, life, I repeat, is a series of what? Purposes. And all of them must lead to the word eternal purpose. The purpose of God why this earth remains is that as many people as possible will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Praise God. The eternal purpose of God is not so that he can be wealthy and be rich and be known and be celebrated around the world. That's, that's, not, that's, that's too small. That's too small. Is it good? Yes. But that's too small compared with why God has kept you in the world. It's good that you're celebrated. You receive a award. That's good. But that is too small compared to God's main purpose for allowing you to see the day. And until you understand it and align yourself to it, ladies and gentlemen, your life is not yet in line with his purpose. May God help you. May your eyes open. May your understanding be enlightened to God's eternal purpose for your life as you study, as you go about your life, as you go about your work, as you go about your school, remember that the primary and the most important purpose for God, why he has kept you here today, is so that everything will combine and help you become a channel to tell people about the good news. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he came and he died and he rose again. That as many as believe in him, accept him as Lord and Savior, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. He said, as many as shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Praise God. That's the eternal purpose of God. As you get them born again on that day, you will hear, come in, thou good and faithful servant, into the abundance of your father. May that be your long story. May that be your story on the last day in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you again for the entrance of your word that has come and that brings light and give understanding to the simple. Lord, again we say, let your word produce profound results in our lives, in our hearts, that we shall be able to fulfill your purpose for us in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you again, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. So, coming to preach some topic, whatever I want to preach now is from here and land it. And I'm still learning. I've not stopped learning. So after the things I've learned, I will bring out whatever I have learned. And I strongly believe that you'll be blessed in Jesus' name. What you don't hate, you can't conquer. If you don't hate poverty, you can't conquer it. If you pamper poverty, it will tamper with your destiny. Many say, I don't like to be poor, but they don't really hate poverty. Poverty is wickedness. Yes, and hear me well. When I became born again and I came here, I was a member here, so don't think I just, I'm still part of here until Jesus comes. 
When I came and I was in church one day, and my father put his hand like this, his hand like this, he said, Listen, I can't be poor. I said, I can someone talk like this. He said, I'm not depending on you, I'm telling you what I know. I said, I've never had someone speak that way. And the Bible school, he taught us and others taught us, for him to teach you prosperity, you should believe that you will never be poor. But that they taught you does not mean you know it. Poverty was still there. And I knew it had not left. So I told myself one truth, you have not known it. So after Bible school, I picked his book, Breaking Financial Hardship, sat with it for several days. After Bible school one year, the one you did three weeks, two weeks now. And I ate to a point, I got my own personal revelation because you don't drive with another man's headlamp. And the covenant is superior to any economic challenge. This same God will open it up to you in the name of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus has two parts. The person of Jesus and the principles of Jesus. The person of Jesus guarantees your heaven. His principles guarantees your success and prosperity. He took his son, but he left his book. Many have accepted his person, but they've toyed with his principles, so they cannot be principals to deal with principalities. You hear me? He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Joshua 1, 8. For that shall meditate therein day and night. Now, your success is not in the hands of God anymore. You determine it. He said, you shall make your way, not God, prosperous, you, and have good success. So it's no longer God's work. God has done everything. If you are poor today, the devil is not your problem. Because you are not the only one who is pursuing. He has pursued others and they succeeded. You will succeed likewise. Now you hear me? It is God's desire that you prosper. God wants you and I to prosper so that we can carry out His great commission on the earth. Without prosperity, the gospel cannot spread. I want to get very angry with poverty. I don't think you have ever seen poverty. That's why you play with it. If poverty has ever visited your family, you will react. Because you know why you are poor, even your dressing you think does not fit you. I will be poor and after dressing up, you say, look at me very well, I'm sure this clothes is fine. It's fine, but you have It's not the devil, the poverty has made you to think that even people looking at you are seeing poverty in you. But because you have come to Shiloh, you will never be identified with the poor. In the name of Jesus. God 
wants you to enjoy life. He doesn't want you to endure life. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So redemption is for you to enjoy life. God wants to be prosperous so you can provide for your family. You can be a blessing to people. Now again, said here, well, men stay poor because they can't trust the character of God. The reason people are poor, they don't trust who God is. He said, God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers 23 verse 19. Neither the son of man that he should repent, had he said, and shall he not do it, and he spoke, and shall not make it good. If God has said anything, then don't doubt him. It pains him when you doubt him, and gladness him when you trust him. We trust the natural financial system. Someone says, the bank said to me, if I put in this money, they can give me 5%. So I'm going to deposit money. That was what people became victims of wonder banks that just took your money and you were gone. You trust them, but you can't trust God. God who spoke to you said, hey, I don't know, it's only in the kingdom of God you have to say, I don't have money. But if they hear the word, they are deposited, they are giving them 20%, you will borrow money to go and give. And most of you, even the one you borrowed, they took it and the money went off. All the wonder banks, you know their names. It's not from me, we hear the names. Shout hallelujah. Hear me and hear me well, no matter where you are in any part of the world, you can prosper. The richest churches today on earth are all in Nigeria. And you know, here at the headquarters, and other ones I can't mention now. Listen, people of God, he said, God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, including the nation where you're working from, in Acts 10, 34, 35, he said, now I perceive that God is no respecter, you man, of persons. In every nation, including the nation where you are, even if you're watching from child or Haiti, he says, no respect of persons. I said, there's no difference between the Greek and the Jew. Romans 10, verse 12. There's no difference between anybody. Now, hear me. Don't live where you are. You have heard it over and over. There are people who hear and we still think that it, our father is joking. Don't live where you are to somewhere. I'm going to watch play in the name of your traveling. Except God told you. Because wherever you are, you can't take an alligator from Nigeria and take him to the UK and become a crocodile. If you are failing here, go to the UK, you still fail. Nations, he said, does not make people, it's that make nations. Hear me, people of God. We all have equal opportunity on earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 9. The dear earth, everyone says, remember the profit of the earth is not for few people, it's for all of us. May your own portion be delivered to you. And for men and women, 
same opportunity. Galatians 3 to the 8, you can read that later. Now hear me. Christ has redeemed us from the cost of the law. Hope you know one of the things we are redeemed from is poverty. Sin, natural, untimely, and poverty. Then you might enjoy the place of Abraham. So to now remain in poverty, we are saying redemption is not real. Because you believe you are redeemed from sin, then why are you still poor? Because he has redeemed you from poverty. But when it comes to prosperity, he has given you principles in this book. Like sin, you have to confess once and accept Jesus Christ. But prosperity is not so. You have to know it and apply the principles. Sorry. Now, there are three types of people in every society, including the church. In every church, we have three sets of people. One, those who depend on people to always help them. This kind of people, nothing you preach in this world that can make you come out of poverty. You find such verses in the Bible, and one typical example is a man called Lazarus. Lazarus fell into this category in Luke chapter 16, 20, 21. And there was a certain man, beggar, named Lazarus, which was laid at, the gate, at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crops that which fell from the rich man's table, which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dust came and licked his sores. These kind of people, you hear them say, well, I have my brother and he's going to help me. You want to help somebody. The moment you fall into this category, let them preach all the messages in this world, you will never prosper because your mentality is already wrong. You have a perverse way of thinking. You believe that you can never come out of poverty, that all the days of your life, you have to depend on somebody to help you. That's a dangerous way to reason. The seven set of people are those who talk about the happenings around. They are always talking about the prosperity of others. Do you know that man is prosperous? Even in church that we talk about other people. They don't create wealth. These kind of people, even if you give them money, they waste it. Because they don't have value for wealth. They can spend without multiplying money. They belong to the class of the average. And that class, God hates it because God said, that shall be a book only. God never made provision for average. To not be to the end, verse 13. To be average is against scriptures. He said, thou shalt be both only, not optional. Such people all, they don't keep talking about events. They never talk about the world. And then the third set of people are the kingdom investors. The kingdom what? They are kingdom promoters. They go for ideas to create wealth from God's word. They are very attentive to the word of God that will change their lives. They are the wealthy. They may not have money right now, but they know where they are going. And you will be amongst them of Jesus. Now, how to engage the covenant power of wealth? How do I engage it now? Hear this. If I have a car and it's very fine, I come in the morning, and I said, look at my car. This is, this is a good car, a Rolls Royce. The key is with me. 
and I just turn it on, press the throttle, will the car move? Until I engage the gear. Otherwise, I'll just be making a move, the car will be on the same point. You will never gain motion if you don't put to use the things I'm about to share with you. Until you engage the gear, that car will never move. It will be motionless. So also, until you begin to put the things you have heard, your life will remain at the same spot. That will not be your portion. So how do I engage the covenant power if I want to enjoy kingdom wealth? Number one is love for God. The difference between the love of God and the love for God. They are not the same. The love of God is the one He loved us. The love of God has been shared abroad in your heart. The love of God is the one you have to demonstrate towards Him. We mix it. The love of God, God has already loved us. Yeah, the only thing that shares the love of God is our heart. Romans 5 5. But love for God is the one you have to demonstrate towards God. Like the one that our past speaker just talked about going for so many. That one is love for God. Now hear me. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord. I'm reading Mark 12 30. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And then Mark added something with all thy strength. Matthew did not use strength, but Mark says strength. For this is the first commandment. You must love God with everything, including your money, because that is your strength. Any love that does not involve your money is fake. Is the passion to give. Let me say this to you, okay, to all of you who are married. Can a woman say a husband ever love her who is a stingy man? Not one woman. If any woman say, my husband loves me, his hand is free. Because where there is no finance, there can never be romance. Copyright law. Okay, there's no copyright law for Bible. 
And it's my father, so there's no copyright law there. If I'm getting results, anybody who wants to find finance, that's his own business. <laughs> now listen carefully. For instance, I can't say I love God with my strength and I'm struggling to tight. <laughs> Something's wrong somewhere. Something's wrong? Tithing is simply a demonstration of obedience to God. While my giving is actually a demonstration of my love for God. You don't love God when you pay tithe. Because tithe is his own. You have not started demonstrating love with tithe. So for a Christian to be struggling to pay tithe, ah, you have not started at all. For God so loved the world, what did he do? No, his hand. He preached. He sat on a chair and was dropping note. For God so loved the world, he gave. And Ephesians 5 words said, We'll be imitators of God as little children. His eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. They have said that to the heart of my heart, and prayer for them that what? You'll be the next wonder to your world. We saw that he took Isaac. Solomon loved the Lord. In first Timothy, he went and gave sacrifice. Tithe is fixed, which all know, except they are coming to church for the first time to Shiloh. Tithe is 10% of your income, which I won't go into it because when you come to tithe, who asks questions, it cross on it. When we ask somebody answer questions, tell him, I'm not going away. When someone is going to pay, say, I'm going to pay cross on it. I said, go and find out. You go and find out. Let me say this to you. Malachi 3 verse 10. So that shall bring all not some of your ties to the sun and remove my heart. I'm coming out here where I'm going to put the windows of heaven. You know why? If you don't tithe, you don't have the foundation for prosperity. In fact, you are not, you are not the one God said will bless. You are out of the way. And when God tells you to sow, every time he tells you to sow, he has a harvest in mind for you. Because as long as this entry, when it's seed time and harvest, you what? And our giving is the proof of our faith. When a seed leaves your head, you have this people of God, it does not leave your life. It goes into your future for God to multiply and give it back to you. Your seed is actually a photograph of your faith. Because every time you give to God, you say, God, I know you are not a man that you should lie. You said to me, as long as this earth remains seed time and harvest about seeds, I don't doubt you. Your economic system can't fail. So I know if I give, you must give it back to me. It shows that you are not doubting what God has said. God will never expect you to give what he has not given to you in the first place. If God says to you give, he has given you something. 
He never asked Abraham to give him a son until he gave him a son. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Where you are now, start from where you are. The first offering we ever had that brought us out of poverty as a family was 50 naira. So it's not the amount. Start from where you are and remain faithful. You rise from one level to another. Somebody's story will soon change. Hear me before I go further. Tithing can be likened to a man who has a farm. You have a vast land. Now, the vast land you want to plant. If you fence that land so that there will be no encroachment, that is tithing. But that does not mean crops will grow. Is that true? But there will be no encroachment. Now, you have to plant. The planting is the offerings. But many of us, we give offerings, we don't tithe. So there's nothing protecting us, so there's heavy invasion. And some of us, we give tithing, but no offering, so it's lopsided. The two must go hand. God treasures every giver. The quality of your seed determines the quality of your house. And the only way you can overcome greed is to be a giver. But many of us, in giving, some of us will pay tight, we give offerings, but why is it not producing? Because before we even give, we are still complaining. Since they have come to this church, they say, you know, sacrifice, I've given. They say we should go to give for a bus, I've given. You have seen it in your room. They say this one, I've given. I don't know what is really happening to now. Is that moo 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 that is costed? You have complained, you have murmured as if God is a taskmaster. Self-righteous 9 by 7 says God is lost in chapter 1. Many of us we give was we are impatient. We are what? Impatient. We we what is that? The day that you are hungry does not mean if you plant something to the ground or put it. Even if you are hungry, we will put it that day. So the day you plant, not the day you are best. You have to be patient. You can't go put say now, I've put corn now, I'm hungry. Go no, no, it must grow. So be patient. I can observe Hebrews 10 verse 6, Galatians 6, 9. They say, and let us not be really well doing, let us be really well doing, but in two things we shall reap if we fail. And then yesterday so much was said about words, so I will not dwell too much on use of words. Proverbs 12 verse 14, Proverbs 13 verse 2, you shall have whatever you said, Mark 11 to 3. You know, most of us, after we give, they say, come, in our church, they say we should not talk like that. But now, you, I can confide in you. Let me tell you what is the problem. Things are very hard. But in our church, they say we should also say, but you know you. That thing you are talking is a problem you have. You know, you know, you know, Papa said you must confess that, but for you, I'll tell you how it is now. I'll tell you how it is. These are very hard for church. We say, where you going to do this? Where you going to swear? Inside house. 
All those things are the problem where things are not working. Stop saying the wrong thing. Stop saying what? Because you have best. After all the seed you have sown, the final bus stop is here. But here is, before I go to the second thing, many of us are good givers. We give. We do everything. But in the midst of economic challenge, we can't prosper. During the meltdown, many suffered. Why? How come Abraham prospered and family? Isaac prospered and family. Jacob prospered and hardship. Joseph prospered. They had one common denominator. Joseph could prosper in a strange land. If you read Genesis 41, 38 to 41, Pharaoh said, there's no one as discreet, as wise as thou art. So come and rule this nation. They were all problem solvers. Number two, covenant key, be a problem solver. We are created to solve problems on earth. Everything created is a solution to a specific problem on the earth. Your ears hear, your eyes see, your mind thinks. Are you hearing me now? Everything. The minister of the gospel solves spiritual problems. Your mother solves emotional problems. That's why every family, children are closer to mothers when they have emotional problems. The lawyer solves legal, and every problem you solve brings you money. Money is available everywhere. Because there's problem to solve everywhere. And the more problems, the more money. The more problems you solve, the wealthier you become. For instance, Nigeria, where we're transmitting from to the entire world, has too many problems. Nigerians are traveling out. Foreigners are coming in. Why? They can see what Nigerians can see. Every problem is money. And covenant children should be able to see brighter than unbelievers. May your eyes be open from today. Because problems are the bad place for common promotion. Daniel was promoted when he solved problem for Nebuchadnezzar, for the king. Joseph was promoted when he solved problem for Pharaoh. Your promotion is coming. So stop discussing problems. Start looking for opportunities to solve them. That's where your prosperity is. People will only look for you when you are able to solve their problems. So look around you, the way you're living, the town you are, your immediate environment. 
there's always a problem to solve. I was in Enugu for a crusade, and I was talking to them and I said, Enugu is one of the states in the southeast of Nigeria. They don't have water in Enugu. 80% of Enugu use till today. They take water because they say they have coal. So I smile. As Israel is inside and they have water. And somebody said they don't have water. So going to open water factory now in Enugu makes you a billionaire. Yes, somebody does not see it. And so they look traveling to go to somewhere to go and wash it. <laughs> Everywhere you are, there's something that God has kept to bring you out of challenge. May your eyes see it. Yeah. Shout a better amen. Yeah. The tithe you are paying, why are you paying tithe? God opens you and gives you ideas to solve problems. Now number three, God keys. Is trustworthiness. Trust what? Can God trust you? Can God trust you? You're sure? <laughs> Can men also trust you? Many of us give, but this way we miss it. In first Timothy chapter 6, 19, 17 to 19, he said, Child that I reach this world and they will not be high-minded, not trust the certain riches. But the living God would give us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Lay up a store for themselves, a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. When the lockdown came, many Christians, including, were broke. You know the reason? They were not sowing before the lockdown. So in true love that is showed between those who are giving and those who are not giving. It's against the time to come because God knew that the time will come when things will be tough. A giver can't be strapped in times of hardship. But you know many of you, food to eat was difficult. If you had that problem, check well. You are not giving before that time. So when the time to come came, there was no harvest. <laughs> and let me say this to you. Don't call a poor man a dedicated Christian until he has money and is hungry. That it comes to Saturday to work every day, let him have money first. It's easy to be very dedicated when you're poor. Your true dedication will come out to see when you have money and still dedicated. They say this man is a child. You know why? You have too, <laughs> you have too many prayer requests when you are in poverty. You see, you see, as our father is now, he's a poor man. He goes for so many. So he's not saying, "I go for so many, oh God, give me money." But no poor man can decide to go for so many. So oh God, this is where I'm going. Give me job. Okay, let him get the job and still go for so many. Then say, "This man is a child of God." Number four. The fourth common thing is excellence. In a world of mediocrity, do things with a touch of excellence as to prosper. 
Listen, children of God, you're a tailor. Don't sew clothes like carpenter. If you like being towards a writing service, and want your shop, use mantle, and your food is not sweet, nobody will come. Thank you. 